0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. Thank you for tuning in this one and I am, I am genuinely so goddamn excited about this week's episode because I get to have a conversation that I've been wanting to have for quite some time but just never could find the right person to have it with. And so when at the start of this season I was sending out emails and I was doing my preparation I sent an email to Ronith, and... I did not expect to yes. I did not expect him to have a conversation about this because for a lot of us from that environment there are things that are maybe too real, too intense, too traumatic for some, that revisiting them in a very public space isn't something that you'd want to do. And I respect that and I understand that and that has been the biggest hurdle in getting people from my time on the fort to jump on the podcast. But that reply to that email was nothing less than an emphatic and enthusiastic yes. And I am truly and eternally grateful to our guest today because it takes, it takes a lot of heart to revisit and to commit to the exploration of the things that we're going to talk about on the episode today for the benefit of others that can get something good out of it. And if that doesn't tell you the kind of person Ronit is, I do not know what will. I have had the exceptional privilege of calling him a friend. He was one of my earliest mentors in life, somebody that guided me through a lot of my time in school. And although we drifted, we drifted apart after we graduated, I am so incredibly grateful that we've managed to find our way back to a friendship. And as you listen to this episode, a lot of this might be triggering, especially if you come from a boarding school environment, if you come from our school. There may be a lot of uncomfortable feelings, things that, that do come up for you. And as you listen to this episode, I just want you to be mindful of that. I want you to mind yourself and I want you to hold that space for yourself. So without further wait, a man that I have the exceptional privilege of calling a friend, a brother and somebody I owe a great, great deal to, Ranit Borpujari.
1: Hey PD, thank you. Yeah, so my name is Ranit Borpujari. I am 27 years old now, and I work as a sports journalist based in Berlin. I am also a fellow boarding school mate (laughs) uh, with uh, PD here. And like he mentioned, we spent a lot of our years together concealed in a fort, quite Mm -hmm. literally. (laughs) So, yeah, I hope we can talk about uh, our experiences in the fort today. And I'm really looking forward to this chat. I think it's a important like
0: disclaimer to kind of put it out there, a prior to this conversation, because I think this conversation in no way is meant to, I mean, for lack of a better word, slander the school or shit on like the institution. I think both you and I have very positive memories, and like, do you remember the place fondly? I think, you know, when you love somebody, yeah, you you don't you know, say you don't love them or, you know, you look at things that may not be right. You don't abandon loving them. It's just like, hey, I love and deeply care about you. And I just want to talk about these couple of things that are getting to me. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, it's been a collective couple of years of those things getting to us or like how they have gotten to us. And so I think this conversation is more so about the culture that we as students created on the fort and less about like any, you know, fault of the institution that is in there. Because like boarding schools are just like by a construct going to have those issues.
1: Yeah, yeah. Fortunately or unfortunately, we and a lot of who we are, at least like in my personal experience, a lot of who I am, even today, I owe it to experiences that I had in the fort. Yeah. And not all of them were positive, which I hope we're going to talk about now because we need to talk about it. It's been more than a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the other experiences, yeah, made me who I am. So in no way do I want to Slander, like you said, for lack of a better word, I don't want to slander that institution. Mm -hmm. But I think it's about time that we talk about some of the toxic things that we as students created in an environment that probably wasn't suited for, you know, 12 to 17 year olds. Absolutely.
0: And I also think if you are a fellow boarder, but also more importantly, if you're a fellow Sindhin listening in, which I hope you are. This conversation may bring up some things in you. This may want you to, you know, the impulse reaction of like, hey, maybe you know these two shitheads are dissing on an institution I love or talking about these things. Two two things maybe to keep in mind. It comes from a place of love for the school and for the institution. Maybe hopefully for any current or past or future sending listening to this, to maybe hear this and be like, hey, okay, there's somebody else reflecting or talking about these things. Uh, but hey, if this, you know gets to you if this triggers something in you i would appreciate it if you didn't send hate messages in my dms but if you did you will only be met with positivity and then followed by a swift block what he said <laughs> <laughs> ronald and i used to be on the debating team together ronald also used to live in the house right next to the one i was in so ronald was in shivaji i was oh, in yes. madhav yeah. he was a year senior to me by grade but like i think in age we're very close to each other you're 27 yeah. now i'm turning 27 this year so it it was a very interesting place to kind of grow up. But I know I certainly have my own experiences of what Fort was like and I'm very curious what what was it like for you? I know that's a whole bag of things to talk about. But you know, how did you find settling in from like say So for anybody listening in, when you came into the school, if you were in grade six, seventh and eighth, you were put into a junior school, which is like a pocket sanctuary before they let you out into the wild.
1: That's exactly what, that's a beautiful way to describe it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What was it like for you coming into junior school? And then obviously a year later, that transition to senior school. Walk us through obviously arriving to school, what that was like, but also that transition.
1: Yeah. um, Where do I start? So, okay, this, is, this might be a little hard for people who have never experienced this to imagine, you know, a 12-year-old 12, a 12 leaving his family, leaving his parents, leaving whoever he's close to, going to a place with, you know, a bunch of other 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, confined in a house. Suddenly, there was this burst of emotion. You know, I still remember my first day. I can't forget my first day ever. I came in, around 50 people around me, 49 of them were crying all of them were crying i was there i was one of the lucky few who went through the system went through Mm syndia before i did my brother my elder brother and he was still in 12th grade when i joined in seventh grade however one of the things one of the the only advice i think he gave me before i came to school i heard about his experiences i heard about the stories but i never actually knew what he was going through right yeah but the only example and the only not example, advice that he gave me was just remember and convince yourself that you don't have an older brother in school. And, you know, when I tell this story to people here now, they're shocked. Sometimes they're shocked. They're like, oh, what? Did your brother abandon you? Like, is that what he was trying to do? Like, what what do you mean You, you have to pretend that you don't have a brother? But honestly, I realized it within my first month in school, why that was the best advice he could have ever given me. Because that was one of the worst things to do, if you remember, you know? If you're there, you have an older brother, somebody does something to you, says something to you, and you bring up your older brother, as soon as he's gone, you're done for. Your life in school for the next six years, seven years is over. Because that's what they're going to, you know, bring up every single time you try to do anything, basically.
0: Yeah.
1: So I knew my brother was going through this shit, and there was this untold, unseen pressure on me, I guess, where I knew that, okay, if he's gone through it, he's made it. It's my job. It's my responsibility to make it as well. So I was one of the, you know, when I said 49 of them were crying and one wasn't, I was that one person who wasn't (laughs) crying. (laughs) I was going to each and every one of them. When my parents left, my parents had just Mm -hmm. left. I was super emotional as well. I was trying my best not to cry because I had, I was already thinking, no, 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 dude, my brother went through this. It's all right. Yeah. I, get, I got this. I still yeah. cried at the end. Yeah. But in the beginning, I, I started going around and I was mm-hmm. like, hey guys, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. We'll make this a fun time. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the housemistress or the housematron, I don't remember who yeah. this was. Uh, they saw that the only kid who wasn't crying was trying to console the other kids as well. Mm-hmm. And then instantly, the second day, they appointed me as the house monitor. I oh, didn't God. even know what the fuck <laughs> that was. Well, <dude. laughs> we're me, tell me all coming in. I'm like, okay, your house, you, you're the house monitor and you're in charge of 50 kids in the house. Oh, man. I was like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> so, in a way, honestly, I have, I do have super fond memories of the school. Yeah. And I genuinely, genuinely believe when every single Founders' Day, for context for everyone who's listening in, every year we have this Founders' Day which we celebrate when the school was founded. And the CEO of the Board of Governors, he used to come in and deliver this whole speech. And I remember that the CEO always used to deliver the speech with his heart's content and saying that the culture of the fort and what we want to achieve with Sindhya within the fort walls is that we want to make them Ready for the outside world, mm-hmm. like um, we want to groom them into gentlemen, and we want to get them ready for the outside world. Which I genuinely believe they wanted to do. Yeah. However, that wasn't always the case, was yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> did they really achieve what they were trying to do? You tell me. <laughs>
0: um, just as you were saying there, I was just like yeah, they definitely didn't make us into gentlemen, did they?
1: <laughs> no, no, definitely.
0: So it's a it's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. But okay, so junior school, I think, fair to say, it gives you a sense of what the school life might be, but you're still in like a little pocket dimension of your own, you know, there's a safety to it.
1: So like you said, it was kind of a pocket dimension, a safe dimension. Mm-hmm. But I think within our first week, we were already made aware of what we were supposed to look forward to or well, not look forward to. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, we knew the authority were seniors. Yeah. It didn't matter if they were one year older, two years older, if they were older or in an older batch, yeah. actually. They they were the authority and what they say goes. And we learned this because I remember this was a tradition. I don't know if it's still in school or not. Mm-hmm. But basically a bunch of ninth graders, I think two or three ninth graders who were you know, known for their own thing. There were rumors going around already in junior school. I don't know how these rumors spread so quickly, but yeah, they were already there. Yeah. And these two, three kids, they came in and I was in Duttaji. All of yeah. us, we were new kids. None of the old kids who were already there from sixth grade were there. Yeah. So we needed to, you know, learn how the power play works in school. So these guys, they came in and they literally sat us down and they started telling us about how we're supposed to behave around seniors, mm-hmm. how... If they say something, just you know, keep your head down, keep your hands behind your back, and just follow what they do. But basically, we had this whole um, training session, and the way they found out who was better suited for senior school life or not was their how do I put this their their badassery meter, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And what qualifies at badass as being a badass is Mm -hmm. if you could make up different innovative swear or curses yeah, yeah. if you had this whole you know i got this attitude yeah and that's how they measured if you were a badass or not and then came all the other things if you're good at sports mm-hmm. if you're good at this you're good at that but basically you had to be good at something yeah and you know as soon as your 12 year old kids one week goes by and you realize oh shit i need to survive here you know that was the whole thing yeah in the beginning, there was this trial where you had to survive. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people didn't make, make it through. Mm-hmm. If you remember, within the first one or two months when you joined school, yeah. that's the time when most kids leave. Yeah. I had so many batchmates, I don't even remember their names. And they left because yeah. they just couldn't go through that initial survival stage, mm-hmm. I guess. Which, now that I think about is it, it's, it's so fucked up. You don't put 12-year-old kids in a situation like that. No. It's
0: uh, yeah. I had forgotten about that whole thing till you just brought it up there, which shows maybe how deep repressed a lot of this. Um, I'm very mindful when I use the word trauma because trauma is very subjective, and as I'm studying now, it is entirely dependent on like your experiences. But like, I, 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 I know what you mean. I, I distinctly remember feeling like shit a month into it. I was acutely aware of how like I need to survive or be chewed by the system. Exactly. Yeah. And at that point, I'd already made like a few missteps. So the culture that I came from, in terms of just like schooling before that, was like the the typical teacher's pet attitude, which, as you can imagine, listening in. But I'm sure, Ronit, you're well aware. That's like the worst thing to be on the board, because what was the word? Chilly? Chilly was the word, wasn't it? Lagoo. There you go. <laughs> And I, that, that was me to a letter uh, in my first couple of months on the Ford because I thought that was the only way to exist in a school life. Little did I know teachers literally had no say on the matter. Uh, and it was all down to the student body, which took a while to acclimatize to, which I suppose is a very interesting segue into uh, life in the senior school. Because, okay, so you've, you've had this demo now. You've got like this brief glimpse of like, hey, when you transition onto the dark side, this is what it's going to look like. It finally arrives. You're back from the summer break. You've been assigned your houses. What happens next? Oh, man.
1: <laughs> so, um, training session two happens next. And this was the real training session, you know, when oh, you were in junior school. Yeah. They were super nice. Seniors who came in, they weren't like, you know, assholes trying to uh, scare the shit out of us. They were trying to give us a fair warning and they were super nice about it. Mm-hmm. Soon as we were in senior school, everything changed. Mm-hmm. Nobody was nice to you anymore. Yeah. We were, um, unless, you know, of course there was that one, two exception every now and then. Mm-hmm. But overall, if you look at them as a batch, as a group, as a community, no, they were never nice to you ever. Mm-hmm. So um, transitioned into uh, senior school, All I was the only one. And that th- that's the thing. You kind of feel left out as well when this happens because you go into a whole different environment with different people from different houses coming in and you start all over again, basically. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Nobody from my house in my batch was in the same house as I was. Okay. Nobody from the Tajik got transferred to Shivaji. I was the only one. And... Probable reason for this was because my brother was also in Shivaji. But by the time I had arrived in Shivaji, he had already graduated. So he wasn't there. Thankfully, honestly. Thankfully. (laughs) That would have been another nightmare, I think. And uh, also, oh, I almost forgot to tell you about this. He was the football captain. Oh, wow. Okay. Pressure is higher on it. Oh pressure was incredible. Yeah, dude. from my batchmates from seniors from juniors even. Like the pressure was already on me. They were like, oh, Borpujari Pujari Kabhai, which means yes. oh, brother, you must be you must be good at football. Like obviously. Right? It's in the Borpujari Pujari blood. It's in the Bor Pujari blood, of course. <laughs> it was a given. If your brother's good at something, you have to be good at that. Yes. Otherwise you're you're yeah. lame. Yeah. But uh yeah. I arrived in senior school, all different people from different houses. We started talking because, of course, like you said, junior school was a bubble. So everybody still knew each other, even if we didn't live together, you know? Yeah. So I had not friends. I wouldn't really call them friends, but they were acquaintances and we were on our way to being friends already. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the ninth graders, they were, we literally had levels, right? Eighth yeah. grade was to be on the ground floor. Ninth grade was on the left side and Mm -hmm. 11th to 12th on the right side, on top. So the ninth graders came down, sat us down. All of us were literally sitting on two beds, Mm -hmm. super serious. And then they start explaining the house rules. That's when we realized that, okay, senior school is not just senior school. It's like every house has their own set of rules, own set of things, their own activities and own, you know what I'm talking about. I do, yeah. So... They sit down and they start telling us that, okay, one by one, each one of you will be given a task. And also we will determine based Mm -hmm. on those tasks, Mm -hmm. how equipped you are to handle a certain section of how how the house works. And when I say this, I mean, like they put us in charge of food. So you'd literally have to wake up at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night and make Maggie for a senior, for example, because you're in charge of cooking. That's who you are. Someone else was in charge of cleanliness. Someone else was in charge for cleaning the utensils. No matter how dirty they got, that person was in charge of making sure that it was clean by the end of the day. Otherwise, your whole batch was fucked. Yeah. So this concept was explained to us very early that no matter your differences, you have to stick together as a batch because as soon as one of you makes a mistake, one of you commits a crime in their eyes... All of you are fucked, basically. And they they instilled this in us, you know, the hard way. Yeah. They made us go, oh, shit, now things are coming up. Oh, man. <laughs> shit. Right. So they made us go through some shit together as a batch because of one tiny mistake somebody did, mm-hmm. which honestly now looking back at it would be trivial. You know, it would be something we'd laugh our asses off. Like, what <laughs> the fuck? This is not even something to get mad about. Yeah. But we were brutally subjected to violence for stupid shit. And that's how this whole concept of, you know, loyalty and sticking together as a batch got instilled in our heads. (sighs) Right. I don't know how I went from point A to point B. I think
0: we've arrived at a good point. Because I think the next question I had playing in my head there was just like, if you had to describe the culture of the school, which is a very, like, it's it's a mountain to contain in a few sentences. And I th- I do think obviously it helps to have that question out there because that'll be I think I want to leave it up to anybody listening to get a sense for yourself what that culture was. Mm-hmm. But what would you say the culture on the fort was?
1: Yeah, I think I already at the end of the last answer I already touched upon this a little bit, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But okay, going back to to what I said earlier about how I generally do believe that the school at least thinks or tries to, you know, get us ready for the world. And honestly, in a sense, they do get us ready as soon as I graduated from the fort, for example. Mm -hmm. And I started living on my own in Delhi. Then I had a roommate, one of my Sindhian batchmates. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly realized everybody else in my college, everybody else around me who were not from the boarding culture, Mm -hmm. were honestly not as independent as you think an 18-year-old would be. Yeah. We were much, much well-equipped to adjust to anything, you know, sleeping in a bathroom for a night or in a five-star yeah. hotel. Honestly, we could have done it all. And yeah. we did. We did. A lot of things. Mm-hmm. But again, the reason we didn't give a shit about a lot of those things was because of the kind of things we were subjected to back in school. Yeah. because of The culture that we were subjected to back in school because everything was so normalized. Yeah. You know, violence was normalized. Homophobia was normalized. Mm -hmm. Being a dick was basically being cool. Yeah. Right. If you could uh, assert your dominance over another person, you were basically considered a bond.
0: Yeah. Right. A bond for anybody listening in
1: would be the equivalent to a jock in our school. Yeah. But honestly, how did you, I'm generally curious how you see this. Okay. Uh How do you determine what qualifies to be a bot. Because I remember a lot of people who weren't even like, you know, physically strong, for example, not super good at sports, or like, they were still considered bonds. Yeah. Right? yeah
0: I, I, I've i thought about this quite a lot. I've written about it quite a lot as well. But to, I suppose, answer that question of like, I think, I, I and I'm very sorry, I use this word not as a derogatory remark, but I think this truly captures in a way how I felt about the bonds that I knew in my time on school. It entirely depended on your capacity to be a total cunt. The more uh, absolute no fucks to give, the, the, the absolute fuckery that you could do. You, if, if you were an asshole to everybody around you, you were a bond.
1: Spot on. No, that's true. <laughs> and hey, okay, okay. As we say this, I also want to make make sure that everybody knows that I'm not a saint, okay? I'm not trying to portray myself as a saint either. I tried my best from Mm. the first day to the last to be one of those cunts, you know? To be an absolute cunt. Because, like, that's what everybody, I I mean, at least I think, thrived to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, otherwise you were just at the bottom of the food chain. Oh, 100%.
0: I'd I have to agree with you. Yeah, I think this should have been part of the disclaimer, but, well, it is now. This isn't us absolving ourselves and of our sins and, like, maybe pushing ourselves as puritans. We weren't. I tried conforming to that so hard till my last day in a very, like, <laughs> weird way, I think. It was making up, or, like, that whole quest of, like, trying to be the Bond was making up for some inadequacy that wasn't there, let's be honest, if I look at it now. But from that lens of like, I was 13 when I came in, right? So from that 13-year-old all the way till I was 18 and I left Ford, there was this inadequacy within me that just wouldn't be filled. And so I was trying to do these things. I was addicted to juniors below me. I was addicted to the women that I dated in that time. Any shape, way, or form, I could exert that bondness and get like some modicum of respect from my fellow peers on the Ford. I did it. And so did the rest of us. Yeah. I did too for sure. It's a it's it's a, it's a it's a weird one. I think in in it's so, it's so hard to capture that culture, but I hope for anybody listening in this gives you a sense because I mean violence and physical punishment was I suppose almost the easier element of it for me because the emotional abuse that followed in the process of that was like you I, I I don't know. Mate, I'm curious what what this was for you, but I think I have lived with and followed through with a lot of those things up until quite recently in my life. And it's taken me a lot of therapy bills to be in a place where I feel safe as a person, because for the longest time I didn't.
1: So for me, uh, I think both of them are connected. Uh, The emotional abuse and the physical abuse were Mm -hmm. super connected. Oh yeah, I recently started figuring this out because I think I was one of the lucky few who tried to find a solution or try to crack the system in the way that whenever people started, for example, calling you names, right? Mm-hmm. You did something funny, something stupid once. And then for the rest of the seven years, somebody would try to make up a nickname and that's what you'd be called. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times it was based on something as stupid as your appearance mm-hmm. or the color of your skin. It was derogatory. Yeah. For me, one of the nicknames that stand out that I still think about now is um, they used to call me a toad, right? Okay. Because of my big eyes, okay. because apparently I had big eyes. And honestly, PD, honestly, I have never, ever, ever, except for my bachelor's and people in school, <laughs> have heard this from anybody else <laughs> in my life. Nobody else has ever pointed out that, oh, you have big eyes. I'm the only one like who convinced myself. I still yeah. think that I have big eyes because of all the people who you know kept calling me toad. So in the beginning, when they started, when they started to you know call me by the name,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was super annoyed. I'd get super mad mm-hmm. as an angry kid anyway. Even though I kept kept it all inside myself as much as I could, but I was super angry. Mm-hmm. And so I'd get super annoyed. And then eventually I realized because this started with a senior, not not a batchmate. Some senior, mm-hmm. we were in a lineup. Somebody looked at me, and he you know wanted to be an absolute cunt, like you said. And he said, Oh, you have big eyes. <laughs> You're a toad. <laughs> and then everyone started laughing. And then instantly I became known as the toad for the rest for of my sake. life. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> mean duck, basically mean duck yeah. Right. So first few months, I think I was annoyed all the time. And then yeah. I realized there's no point. There's yeah. absolutely no point. I can't win. Yeah. I cannot, I can be angry at one person, two persons. And then a senior starts calling me that and I can't do shit about it. Mm-hmm. So I realized the only way to get around this is to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Like not just to accept it. I could have just been like, oh, Toad. I'm like, hmm, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I started embracing it in the sense that when whenever people would call me Toad, <laughs> I'd act it out. <laughs> <I'd> be like, <laughs> they'd be like, hey, Minduk. I'd be like, "Ha!" Huh? <laughs> 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 exactly. See, you laugh, right? Yeah. They laughed too. They laughed. I laughed. We all had a good time. And then yeah. eventually people got bored of it. Yeah. And uh, that's when I realized, okay, this is the You've trick. cracked the code. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe I'm making it sound easy. It's really not oh, it easy. To do. No. Like I said, I'm one of the lucky ones. Imagine a person who went through this and just didn't have the mental space, the capacity, or just the will to do mm. this. Like, why would they want to do this? Why are we subjected to this in the first place? Yeah. Right. I, <sighs> I have a follow-up
0: question. Mm -hmm. which I've been wondering for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I I, I think I have my answer for it, but I don't think it's sufficient. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we were conforming to this? or Why do you think we were like, you know, striving to be these things, which, as I say this now, I think even like little baby faced me was aware of like how against his own nature that was, right? Why do you think we were trying to be somebody that we weren't? Why do you think we were vying for the opinion and acceptance of these people around us?
1: That's a good question, dude. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously peer pressure, but um, Mm -hmm. that's not the only thing that was just what was trumping our, you know, our nature or what you mentioned. I think, honestly, it was just uh, us trying to fit in. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have any other choice, right? It's not like we could have simply said, okay, no, I don't want to do this. So I'm going to spend the rest of my life in school alone and uh, not have any friends. Because that's what would have happened, for sure. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of people who didn't. uh, I mean, they probably still tried to be an absolute (laughs) can't. Oh, my God. I love this phrase now. But um, they just realized early on that they couldn't. and they had a terrible time in school. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I went through some shit. I know I went through lots of shit that some people wouldn't be able to imagine, but I know I was still way better off than a lot of people that I knew back in school. Yeah. They had a way, way, way worse time than I did. And uh, like, how is that fair? How is just that question? I think I, I, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still trying to think why. Apart from, you know, us trying to fit in, why would we just go against our own nature? And that's just you and me talking, okay? This is just, I'm talking about my own personal beliefs. I never, ever, ever believed in violence, even Mm -hmm. after being subjected to everything. I don't think I've ever laid a finger on a junior. I can, you know, say that with some assurance. Yeah. I can't say the same with badmates. That's mates. I
0: I can't say that for myself. I remember distinctly this one time, um, grade 12. This this is a tiny story, but apparently. So three grade 10s who I would have been very friendly with. They went down the fort to watch a movie and roll call happened. They weren't around, but we kind of basically saved them. Like, hey, listen, yeah, no, uh, they're going to do this thing for us. They basically ran down the fort, never quite came back in the eight hours that they had. And then it's half 11. They still haven't been back. The assistant house director, she's quite furious now. She's like, where are these kids gone? I know they're away. We're trying to call them. They're not answering. They arrived. We've saved their asses now. But like this, I have lost an entire day of studying, which I could have been studying for board. I'm under a lot of stress that way. I'm under a lot of stress by virtue of being head prefect. There's a lot that's happening here right now. And it's the one time that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, just completely lost my cool and went ballistic on them. And I felt so shitty.
1: Yeah.
0: where I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And I gave myself like an hour, two hours. I just couldn't. And I went up to them and I was like, that wasn't right of me. And I am very sorry. But like, obviously, nobody would entertain that apology. And of course, they'd be like, yeah, that's OK. But like, I wouldn't entertain that apology for me, and I would say I was the more decent of the people in that world. Where like I went and apologized, which yeah. doesn't again doesn't acquit me of the things that I did, but just sure. like to to put the culture in perspective, ninety nine people wouldn't even do that out of a hundred,
1: yeah.
0: uh, because it was just the norm. Violence was the norm. Yeah. And as we're having this conversation, you know what's really interesting. Um, You and I are two people still in some respect grappling with the shit we dealt with on the fort.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: (laughs) Having this conversation in the hopes of having some sense of solidarity to be like, (laughs) fuck, mate, that shit, can we just talk about this?
1: Um, And not brush it off as something trivial that happened to us. It wasn't bad. It was honestly a lot of people have been carrying this trauma for God knows how long. And uh, maybe some of them will never talk about it, but...
0: Having uh, feelings is okay, which wasn't okay on The Forge. You know, being beaten to death every once in a blue moon is not okay.
1: Dude, the whole story of you, you know, going ballistic and then going and apologizing. This is a thing that a lot of people have made fun of me. Okay, a lot of my batchmates have made fun of me for this. But uh, every time I had a fight... Mm -hmm. I would break down instantly. It did, didn't matter if I, you know, won, lost. It didn't matter if I beat him up, if he beat me up. Yeah. But as soon as it was over, I would break down crying. Yeah. Just have this whole thing where I was, I, I'd feel shit about myself. And as soon as I was done crying, I would go to them and I'd apologize. Like, I'd be, I'd be so guilty. This is one story. I'm sure if one of my friends, Adhar, Mm-hmm. If he listens in, one of my, still one of my closest friends, Yeah. but if I tell you, tell you this story, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> would be able to imagine how we're still so close. Yeah. So I did mention I was an angry kid, right? Mm-hmm. And I was trying to hold back everything all the freaking time. So, um, there was this one time when two of my batchmates, they were fooling around with chairs mm-hmm. And uh, if you remember our chairs, we had these metal rods at the end yeah. of it. Like, the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, these guys were playing. I don't know why. We were in freaking 11th grade, man. I don't know why. They were... <laughs> <laughs> but basically, but basically, they were uh, fooling around with these chairs. And I was sitting right in front of them where they were doing this. Mm-hmm. And I kept telling them. I kept telling them, guys, stop doing this. Somebody will get hurt. Mm -hmm. stop doing this somebody will get hurt I repeated myself like three four times and guess who got (laughs) hurt you yes okay one of the metal chairs hit my chin yeah I got super mad like I was in pain but that pain didn't really matter to me because anger just took over there's this rage inside me Mm -hmm. and then I lost all reason I got up the first thing I did I picked up a chair I pointed at one of my friends and he panicked, right? He saw me. He was like, he saw my eyes. He knew I was going to throw it. Yeah. <laughs> so he panicked and he pointed at the other guy. He was like, not me, not me, not me, him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I wasn't thinking at that time. Yeah. So I pointed at the other guy. I didn't even look at him. And I threw the chair. But the chair hit him on his head. Mm-hmm. He started bleeding. I didn't even look at him. I turned away and I went to the infirmary directly. The sick mm-hmm. room as we used to call it. Because I was then I realized that oh shit like my my uh, chin really hurts and yeah. I'm in pain. Yeah. I went to the infirmary. I got uh, an emergency pain medication like an injection basically on my up my ass. Mm-hmm. And then I heard in the other room in the infirmary, yeah. the guy that I hit recently, yeah. he was sitting there and he was getting stitches. Oh fuck! I heard from the nurse yeah. that oh yeah you, you you need stitches blah 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 and I heard that. As soon as I got up, I broke down. Like, I just, I couldn't help myself. I broke down. I went to him. I was on my knees. I was holding his hand. And I was crying my eyes out. And I was telling him, dude, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I don't know what happened. And he did. Like, it was great of him. He did instantly forgive me. He's like, it's fine, man. Yeah, you're stupid. (laughs) You shouldn't get that angry. And we're still, like, super good friends. We're, like, almost best friends. So, yeah, those kind of things... And guess why I had all of that aggression, all of that um, anxiety inside me? Guess yeah. why?
0: Now, any, anybody listening in, take a guess and you'll probably hit the mark. Yeah. <laughs> based on the conversation so far. I do think though, it's, I don't think I found the words till you said that story there. I think each one of us mm. was carrying a rage within us. And some of us had the opportunity to take that out on the soccer field or the hockey matches or the sports things that we used to
1: yeah.
0: and Or some like me would go on the fort wall and just scream their lungs out until there was not a breath left. Yeah. But then there were some who took that out on other kids. Yeah. And there are some that are still carrying a lot of that rage within them. They're, that is unprocessed rage mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. either hasn't been confronted won't be confronted there's it's it's there and i i I don't want to give anybody their reasons for Uh, but i know i did i wasn't aware of that rage or maybe maybe listen i was but i wasn't conscious of it till i left fort um in an in a world i would have an entire podcast where i invite somebody from the fort to talk about their experiences but considering how long it has taken me to get somebody from the Ford on this podcast, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give it a couple of years. It's
1: sad man, if you think <laughs> about it, like all the things that we talked about just now, yeah. and how you said that it's about time we need to talk about it. Like people yeah. get that aggression, get whatever is inside you out. Like it's it's okay to have feelings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is uh, this is an accurate example. Yeah. Right. You ask so many people, and so many people just what did they tell you? The
0: responses ranged on the spectrum of, you know, I don't feel I have anything to talk about. I really enjoyed my time there. So I don't think there's anything to talk about. Or the, I don't feel comfortable talking about this uh, in like, front of other sindhind, Which and,
1: uh, That's okay. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to depose them or anything. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but
0: those. but then there were also those of, uh, and I apologize for being bilingual in this situation. Uh, there, were, there were people who were like, Benchut, what are you sab karne ki?" Uh, which literally translates to fucker, why the heck do you think there's a need to have this conversation? So there has been a spectrum of that. So but hey, if now after listening to this I have enough people reaching out to me, we'll do it. But um, um I feel we've carried that. I don't think I carry any significant amount
1: of it with me now. Yeah, I I don't think so either. And honestly, that's just been my journey the last four or five years. Yeah. In my early 20s, I know for a fact I still had it. Oh, yeah. I'm it. Oh,
0: 100%. I, I'm very curious. You've had like six years of this life on a fort, right? Yeah. What is it like now you've left the fort? I know I had my own journey of unpacking a lot of the things that I was carrying with me. And I'm just curious what that experience has been like. For you since leaving fort
1: Uh, for me at least the first one two years of me leaving the fort was still kind of like not leaving the fort because i basically surrounded myself with uh, a lot of the same people i was hanging out with in school okay so my first two years we were still, you know, meeting up, gathering. It wasn't as regular because, of course, we weren't living together anymore. Yeah. But uh, we still, now we had even more freedom to do shit that we weren't allowed to do back in school or we didn't have access to do back in school. Yeah. So a lot of that culture followed me at least for the first one, two years. Even though I still got, like, I made friends with the outside world, you know, with other mm-hmm. people. I met Lots of people from different places, from different uh, regions, speaking different languages, and all of that intrigued me. But at the same time, I don't think I started to unlearn it, at least in the first two years. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as I would start talking about school to one of these people, one of these people who had no idea or no background of how a boarding culture is like in India. Yeah. But they do have an idea of how Indian culture was like mm-hmm. of how men in India behave and yeah. what was normal for them and what was not normal for them what it meant to be masculine basically yeah. it didn't matter which school you came from didn't matter what culture you came from if there were certain things that you did other people from other regions were also like yeah man that's badass and that's the kind of feedback that I got in the beginning you know yeah. maybe that wasn't the best Again, it wasn't the best environment for me to surround myself with, yeah. but uh, this is why it took me a little longer to unlearn the things that I was still, well, that I'm happy that I unlearned now. Yeah. And that translated into my friendships, uh, that translated into my relationships. But uh, like I said, you know, you and I, at least, I think we were one of the lucky few who got to get out a lot and meet lots of different people and also you know at least meet people from the opposite gender or like other genders which was so freaking important now that I look back at it and think about it because so many of Sindhians that I know yeah if you put a woman in front of them they'll still be you know they'll still get awkward as fuck and not be able to say like more than two words oh yeah because the closest they ever got to a woman was porno yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's just true. Yeah. So maybe we were, like I said, we maybe we were, uh, we had this uh, different sense of independence in us, mm-hmm. but uh, our emotional quotient, our social quotient was, it was like in the negatives. Oh, 100%. Of course, in my bones, in my gut, I still mm-hmm. knew the kind of problematic things that were happening around me. Yeah. And I started distancing myself, thankfully. Mm-hmm. You know, as I grew up, as I started to learn more things, as I became more educated and started to realize that the world is not freaking Sindhya school, you know, I really understood by my third year that, okay, I really need to distance myself from this because this can't be healthy for me. It's something that I've been carrying for so long and it's important. Yeah. And out of the 15, 20 people that I used to hang out with, Mm -hmm. I have four good ones left, five good ones left. And I'm honestly, I've never been happier. That's all you need. Yeah. Never been happier because I've realized that because they were still those, you know, 14, 15 people, Mm -hmm. they were still living in the past and still normalizing the behavior that we used to think was normal back in school. Yeah. It was just about damn time, you know?
0: What was the process of like, fuck, okay, there are
1: things that I'm carrying within me that need to change? Honestly, uh, my friends, my friends now, uh, okay. some of the closest friends that I have now. Um, imagine meeting a person from, you know, halfway across the world mm-hmm. who has absolutely no idea about boarding school culture, about our Indian culture. They have no idea what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So the second I started explaining to them how it used to be like, you know, living in school, this is our discipline, this is what we used to do, blah, blah. And I was still talking in a way that made the whole situation sound like, you know, it was a badass thing to do. Yeah. And first, in the beginning, they started drawing parallels with Harry Potter because that was the only yeah. pop culture effort they could think of. Oh, right. So you lived in a Harry Potter school, basically. Yeah. Because you know, houses and competition, yeah. debates. Yeah. Told them all these stories, told them all the happy stories, yeah. all good till then, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as I got to the fucked up stories, which I didn't think at the time were fucked up, yeah. you know. I still thought was oh, this is so funny oh this happened oh mm-hmm. you know this one time we played a hockey match and we won but I missed a goal so we my entire batch got beaten up by hockey sticks you know literally this is a real story by the way <laughs> which I just said entire badge got beaten up by hockey freaking sticks why because I missed a goal or somebody like a striker somebody, missed a goal but we won the game like how is that fucking fair yeah. or even normal mm-hmm. but the second I started talking about these things and these kind of stories came up as soon as that happened as soon as I started the, seeing the look on my friends faces
0: mm-hmm.
1: and realizing how disturbed they were and hearing things from my friends in a very constructive very loving and caring way that yeah. chronic this is not something you should probably be laughing about because this is something very fucked up that happened to you.
0: Yeah.
1: That's when I started realizing that's when I started questioning everything. And I went back to all the fucked up things that happened to me.
0: Yeah.
1: I still remember there was this one time, dude, you will not believe for something as trivial trivial as this. Mm -hmm. I broke into the common room. Okay. For anyone who's listening, the common room was a place where we had a TV and like some other fun activities to do. For like a weekend or something, we'd get it, right? Yeah. And there's this big game, I don't remember, United, Arsenal, United, Chelsea. And I really, really wanted to watch it. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to break into the common room. It can't be that difficult. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it wasn't. (laughs) We had already decided to plan, me and two other kids, for mother of actually. Okay. All United fans, and we decided, okay, we're going to go watch the game. Mm -hmm. We broke in middle of the night, like 1230 or something. And we had school the next morning, but uh, we were energetic kids, we didn't really care. We just wanted to watch the game. Yeah. And we watched the whole game, it was fun. He, they went back, I went back. We thought it was a successful night. The next day, suddenly, my entire batch and the batch right senior to me, I think we were in eighth, I think, so ninth grade and eighth grade. Okay. We were called by the 12th graders, like full on lineup, and yeah. they were super angry as fuck. And this one asshole, Again, not name names. Oh, man, I think I still ate him. But uh, this one guy, he comes up and he starts questioning. everyone. Okay, so who was in the common room last night? And I'm shocked, right? I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, I'm standing there. I'm like, how the fuck does he know? It's yeah. impossible. Nobody said anything. And then he reveals that, oh, I'm sure there was someone in the common room last night. Because uh, when I came in and I turned the TV on, the brightness was on low. Fucking Sherlock Holmes. Fucking Sherlock Holmes, dude. Like, go, you're in 11th grade. Go do something else. You do have anything else to do. What the fuck? So, yeah, he said this. And then, obviously, my batchmates knew it was me. Yeah. But that whole sense of loyalty. And we're still standing there. And he's giving us threats. You know, he starts giving us threats. Okay, so if nobody's going to come up, nobody's going to say who did this. Then, basically, entire ninth grade and 8th grade. You're gonna have to start doing rounds and you're fucked, and like for the next two weeks, blah blah, blah. he basically listed out a whole lot of brutal things that he was gonna do to us mm-hmm. if one of us doesn't come up, yeah, so obviously I had to, yeah, so I stepped up and we let everyone else go, and for the next three and a half hours, fuck, I'm not even gonna i'm not I don't think kids listening to this should know what happened to me for the next three and a half hours it was just i came out i'm i'm lucky i came out without any broken bones that's all i'm gonna say fuck for this you know because i wanted to watch a fucking game fuck. i <laughs> <laughs> oh, that
0: it's it's hard for me to hear that just it's so hard to capture Cynthia without also acknowledging there is an Indian culture on top oh, of it and a yeah. w- wider boarding school culture on top of it. And then there is the culture that is the culture of the students of the fort. Yeah. This was a vicious circle of like mm-hmm. that senior that beat the living daylights out of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Had have to have that happen to him or somebody he knew. Like he was part of that culture. It was like the self-perpetuating bullshit. It's the... Is the cycle that continues, but what's so fucked up about it is it's a culture built by 17 year olds and 18 year olds who have just had their balls drop very recently
1: <laughs> exactly
0: making exactly. these rules and talking about shit that they have no experiences of and that's i think what's so fucked and i think i genuinely believe people like you and me and i'm certain there are people listening in on this as well who have been the lucky ones to either have been emotionally secure in some respects, to not be completely fucked by it. But I know for a fact there are still certain people who are wrapped up in that, either very traumatically, where like that trauma is so insurmountable that they can't face it. So they're crumbling under it. Or these are people who have owned their trauma in maybe the most worst of ways, where they're like, that's the way to be. That's the way.
1: I I was the man. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, it, it translates into everything else in your life, too. It's spelled out, right? Yeah. You can see it in your political opinions. You can oh, see how you think about a marginalized community.
0: Here, when I came out as polyamorous, that idea would have been celebrated by the culture on the fort as like, you know, the man, the stud, swimming in women, which isn't, to, to break their hearts, it isn't just women. Yeah, because then I also <laughs> came out as bi, and then there's the homophobia that comes in, and I think there, there was a lot of internalized homophobia from that culture on the fort, which Gosh. makes no sense to me because for the same shit that people were like beaten up for being gay or feminine, these were the same lads watching porn on like an eight-inch screen, masturbating at the same time. So, so, so it, it's hard for me to kind of reconcile that, which is ridiculous in so many ways. But I think. I have carried so much of that culture of not feeling adequate enough.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. This, is, this is, can go on a tangent. I think for so long, I carried a lot of like inadequacy. And I tried for years after to make sure that I wasn't inadequate enough. And for the longest time, it came up in like boasting about things. Yeah. Be that boasting about like, oh, the way we were beaten to be like, yeah, but I've been tougher. I've gone through worse shit than you. So I'm cooler.
1: Exactly. exactly. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah Or talking about my sexual conquests at the time, which, you know, is a very shitty thing to do. And I realize that now. But 19, 20 year old me thought that was cool.
1: Yeah.
0: To things that kind of came up in my relationship. Ronit, I had so much rage in me. Rage I wasn't even aware of. That it came out every time I had a fight with my ex, every time there was a disagreement with a friend, every time there was somebody who bumped into me on the street. And at this point, I'd started working out. I was twice the size of what I was in school. So I was just like, I am the man now. (laughs)
1: Look
0: at you, (laughs) But But I wasn't. See, that's the thing. It was such a departure from what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a frat boy. When in yeah. my heart, I've always been the artistic, creative, thoughtful, poet kind of person. Yeah. Which is which is also why my own needs for who I was as a person eluded me. Because I was living, to, still trying to conform to what I want, should have been in school.
1: Right. right.
0: But I suppose my question is, I know I had a process of like, and it's a massive internal struggle that I had in understanding, acknowledging the problematic elements and then moving past them. And that acknowledgement, I think, is always the hardest thing. What was that like for you?
1: I don't know, man, honestly. Mm, I can't give you a straight, simple answer because it's just, it's so complicated in the sense that there were so many webs and so many uh, strings that I had to untangle and unlearn for me to understand what it really means to be a man, a person, like what how my whole understanding of masculinity came from school. My entire understanding was if you're a bond, you're the most masculine and the mass of the mm-hmm. masculine. And uh, we continued that in the beginning as soon as we graduated from school, where you needed to be this alpha sort of person inside school. The mm-hmm. And then uh, eventually I came to the understanding that this is just all bullshit societal constructs that have been instilled upon me while I was living my life in school by 17-year-old kids who had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. Our role models were our um, were these 17-year-old kids. Yeah. And if you think about it, that could actually be such a positive thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like if those 17-year-old kids had the roles of elder brothers to us instead yeah. of bullies yeah. or like um, generals in the army, instead of those mm-hmm. roles, if they had the roles of being elder brothers to us who could, you know, guide us into what we're looking, what we should be looking forward to the next two years, yeah. instead of telling us that, hey, take this beating now because in three years when you're in my position, you'll be able to beat someone else, yeah. right? That's what we understood. Yeah, And that's where the fault of the culture and the fault of everybody else involved in the school shows.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what I learned. And all of that, thankfully, now, after all these years, 10 years later, I have, for sure, unlearned. So that's what my journey is, I think. Through my friends, through, I'm not going to say family, although I will say my siblings had a very big part in this. Yeah, Like, I'm lucky to have really, really smart, understanding, caring, loving siblings as well, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I can trust and I can have an honest, open conversation with. So, yeah, I think all of that really helped me through this journey of unlearning these things. And it's so important, PD. So sorry, this makes me so angry. It is so freaking important to unlearn these things, dude. hundred percent. I'm not going to say... Um, right now that you know this should stop because i have no idea what's happening back in back in school right now i hope i for fuck's sake i hope that mm-hmm. that culture doesn't exist anymore that there's a more supporting supportive environment around mm-hmm. those kids because you know set aside all the competitions and stuff all the things that really helped us pick up our skills you know you yeah. did all those debating things yeah. i did debates sports whatever yeah. but we picked up all of those Skills because of school, right? I Mm -hmm. hope that still remains the same, but there's a much more constructive and caring way to go about those things. And I hope that's happening right now. But if it's not, this is why it's so fucking important to unlearn those things now. Yeah. It is so fucking important. Otherwise, you're just going to be that douchebag that you always were.
0: Oh, 100%. I, I really hope conversations like this. Of course, I hope this conversation, but I hope... It's a, this is an open opportunity. This is like me opening a door for anybody who wants to engage in vulnerability and have a conversation like this. I hope this in some way makes you think and go, oh, wait, we need to talk about this. Yeah. But to wrap it up, my question would be, what's your hope for anybody past or future Sindhian listening to this? What's your What's your hope for them?
1: My hope, and I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an example first, because I, I just, I, I have the feeling a lot of Symbians would relate to this. Mm-hmm. A lot of Indians who have, you know, fought against their nature, like yeah. you and I to be a person that they're not simply because they wanted the approval of their peers or of the people around them. Yeah. I've had situations after I've graduated where I've sat down with a few of Few of my, you know, batchmates from school. Yeah. Same things, same stories. Remember, we had this conversation before our podcast where you said you're still talking about the same stories and all, whatever. Sure, it's funny. Everything's good. And then at some point, you start talking about stories that were fucked up, you know, like you and I discussed. Yeah. And you're still trying to normalize it and you're still trying to have a good laugh about it. Mm -hmm. And I've had situations where I'm sitting in a circle and I go absolutely silent. And it makes me super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I start telling myself and I start questioning myself, why the fuck am I here? Why am I here? If they're going to do the same things, if they're going to talk about the same things and like be this inappropriate and be this derogatory, why am I still sitting here? I don't, I really don't need to be. I had that fear in my head that, oh shit, I'm going to lose friends, blah, blah, fuck that. Honestly, fuck that. I had that fear and it made me super uncomfortable. So my hope for any Indians listening to this past, present, or future is that if you, they're ever in a situation like this, doesn't have to be in a room full of Indians yeah. or whatever, my hope is that they'll be able to talk about it. Yeah. That's it. It's as simple as that. My hope is that they don't sit around in, you know, self-loathing like I was, questioning themselves why they were in that situation, why they put themselves in that situation in the first place. Because honestly, that's the worst thing to do when you start blaming yourself. I hope that those people could, you know, just stand up and leave.
0: Yeah.
1: Or just if they want to call them out, you call them out, you talk about it. If it makes them super uncomfortable, if they're not feeling up to it, I really hope they just, you know, stand up and leave. And yeah. they'll, they wouldn't have to explain it to anyone. Fuck yeah. that. It's your own mental piece. And you really need to, if you really feel like you're not that person, you don't have to prove that to anyone. That's going to be my hope man that was that is beautiful
0: that really yes. is I, I i'm i'm gonna have to agree with everything you have said and i just i think the only add i will add to that is conversations of this nature mm. are quite uncomfortable to have because it has the capacity and the first time you have it it's going to be the most uncomfortable time to ever sit in a room and have this conversation be that alone with yourself with a therapist or with your mates embrace that discomfort yeah because there's something very good on the other side of it 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 is that that minor momentary discomfort as as mountainous as it may seem is going to be worth it for like a healthier you so if you're listening to this and there are things coming up for you i would still say explore that curiosity explore what's coming up for you and yeah. i hope we can have more conversations like this uh, i'm going to send this episode to you 10 years from now and i'd be very <laughs> curious to see what our conversation is like then But honestly, Rana, I absolutely love you. I am so grateful that you've decided to come on and do this. I I really appreciate you. And uh...
1: the love goes both ways. Sorry, I'm losing my speech now.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. We have another episode out next week on the Wednesday. And if you like what we do and the work that we're putting out, do consider joining our Patreon. Till then, this has been Love and Citizenship, and I will catch you in the next one.